blessed, so grateful to enter into your presence and worship, to be able to exalt you through song, express our hearts, Lord, as we sing of you, as we declare of you what what you are and what you do and how you move. Thank you, Lord, for that beautiful opportunity once again to exalt you. And Father, we also pray that we would, as we continue to worship, that we don't want to just worship in song, but we want to, Father, learn from you. And as we look to your word, that this too would become an act of worship. This too would become an exaltation of who you are, a direction of what we can be doing. And so, Father, we are so thankful to be here, to be looking to you, to be worshiping you. And Father, now give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Okay, Saints, Daniel chapter 2. Um, we covered the, the chapter last Wednesday, and I want to look at just one portion of it here this morning. And the portion I want to look at is just looking at just Daniel's response to prayer. Let's look at verse, um, beginning of verse 17. We're going to read all the way down to verse 23, and this is what our study is going to be. It declares this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, verse 19, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. Verse 23, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, that you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we have asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. It's interesting is King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that troubles him, and it's a recurring dream. It's a dream of an image. He doesn't quite understand it. And, of course, within that image we saw how there is that head of gold, the, 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 the chest and the arms of silver, the, the belly of brass and with, the, with the thighs, and, of course, the, the, the legs of iron, and then the feet being that, that mixture of iron and clay, and then here's that symbol of all of the nations of the world that just is sitting upon each other that will be affecting the nation of Israel and God's plan for Israel. But then he sees this rock that was cut without hands coming out of the mountain, rolls down, smotes the feet of the image. In other words, that latter kingdom of Rome, they're, they're mixed with the clay that revived Roman Empire, and then the whole image tumbles and topples and is ground into a powder. The wind comes and blows it away, but that stone that hit the feet of that that image begins to grow and grow and grow into a mountain that will last forever and ever and ever. And the king has this dream over and over and over and over again. And because what had happened is he was there one night just wondering, what's going to happen? I've been a king here now for about two years. What's going to happen after him? What's going to be here, the, the events that will take place in the world? And so what God does is this. God grants to Nebuchadnezzar this, this vision, this dream, so that he can understand what's happening, but he can't understand the vision. So he wants to know what this vision is. He threatens his wise men. They're all going to be put to death until Daniel finds out, hey, we're going to put you to death. Why? Well, because the king had this dream. So he goes before the king, asks if him and his friends could just take some time to, to seek the Lord, and he would give him an interpretation. He didn't say, I might. He said, I would. There's an act of faith. 
And so Daniel then, with his companions, have this prayer meeting. That night, Daniel receives an answer to that in this night vision. He receives an answer to this is what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was, and this is the interpretation of the dream. So he goes before Nebuchadnezzar, tells him his dream, tells him the interpretation, because that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. He didn't want just an, an, an interpretation. He said, you tell me the dream, and that I will know that you have the dream, that you're able to give an interpretation. But Daniel here begins to pray, to pray. And the first thing that he does when God grants him the ability to understand here Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he doesn't run right away to Nebuchadnezzar. He, he pauses and he says, priorities. The priority is this. I want to come before you and give you thanks. I want to pray to you. And so as we look to this response, and we'll be getting to it deeper as we look to the, the first thing is he blesses his name there in verse 20 where Daniel said, blessed be the name of God. And then he blesses God's wisdom there in verse 20 for wisdom are his. And then he blesses God's power where he says in verse 20 and might are his. He blesses his authority where he says in verse 21, he changes the time, he removes the king's. He gives wisdom to the wise and he gives knowledge. He reveals deep things. All these things is what it's low. It's declaring God's authority. You have the right and you have the ability to change times to, to say all of a sudden we think, hey, well, we're going to have this great, wonderful resurrection celebration. And then God says at home. You know, and so you're not expecting those things, but God changes the time. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now how long are we going to be at home? Only for a season. Now we're back. And what we see here is this, that God has this way of being in authority. So make no mistake that God didn't get off the throne and take a vacation for a couple of months. He said, no, I'm in authority. I'm, I'm doing a work here. Pay attention to what it is that I'm doing. Seek me and I'll give you the answers. And so, and then he, he recognizes after he looks to his name and his wisdom and his might and his authority. And then he says, you know what? I'm blessed because you give. You're a giver. And that's what he says there in in verse 21, he reveals the deep things. God is the one in the end of verse 21 where he says he gives wisdom and he gives knowledge and he reveals deep things. That God's a giver and that when he gives, we're the ones who receive the, the, what the gift of God is. And so, you know, blessed be those who are receiving his gifts. And so then, of course, he ends this whole thing with incredible gratitude in verse 23, where it says, I thank you and I praise you. The, the whole understanding of this gratitude and thanking God and then coming to him in worship and praise and exalting him, those are the things we'll be looking at as far as looking at the Daniel's response to prayer. But what I want to do is this, to keep in mind that Daniel and his friends pray. They have a prayer meeting there in verse 18. Remember what it says, that they might seek the mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so Daniel and his companions might not perish. They were here to seek the mercies of God. Now, as they come and they beseech God, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit does not declare for us and write down for us what that prayer meeting was. We have no understanding of what the prayer was that these four men were there before the Lord. That the Holy Spirit keeps silent. That the Holy Spirit keeps it so it remains a mystery. But what the Spirit does do is it reveals the response to prayer. Understand, it's not teaching us how to pray, but it's showing us a response to answered prayer. And this is key for us as Christians. One of the things is this. We need to pray. We need to pray. Of course we need to pray, but we also need to do what? We need to respond to answered prayer. We need to acknowledge God, and I love how Daniel does it within this passage. There's a response to answered prayer. And I think it's important that, that what we recognize here is the very first thing out of Daniel. Of course, he purposed in his heart, and he wanted to do that. But then they have this prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit chooses to reveal the response. 
And I think that's key for us to understand the very first prayer that is spoken of in the book of Daniel. There'll be others. But the very first prayer is a prayer of response to answered prayer. Sometimes as Christians, I think we have this tendency of praying with expectation. And then God moves and he answers. And we think, well, of course he did. Of course, that's what God does. And we have a tendency of just moving on. There's other Christians and other people who, when they pray and God moves and he answers, that they say, well, that was just going to happen anyways. I mean, how many Christians are are meeting in the churches and they say, well, we were eventually going to be opened up. Eventually, we're going to let us in, not recognizing how God is saying, I want you to see my hand. I want you to see my power. I want you to recognize this is me. And of course, we do see here where in verse 21, God changes the times. He changes the season. He'll build up a king. He'll remove a king. He's going to put people in power. He'll remove them from power. That's who God is. God is the one who's in control in the events of mankind. Make no mistake. God had a reason to put us you know, distance, and now he has a reason to put us together. And in this coming together, what I find is amazing is that here we're celebrating the Memorial Day weekend and we're recognizing all those who have have gone before us and gave the ultimate sacrifices for our freedoms, for our liberty, for the Constitution, which, you know, recognizes our rights that have been given to us by God, not by man. And they went and they died for this reason. And as we're, you know, remembering them, of course, we don't know who they are. And, but I, keep in mind, we owe them. We owe every single one of those. And I think it's important to thank God for those, those people. Thank God for their families. And, of course, there are those who still have, are giving their lives for us and for what we believe in with our nation. The freedoms that we have, that we're, we're able to enjoy, those that God gave us. Now, as we're coming to this, as we see here Daniel's response, I do want to just, just make a note here that as this response was here, he does recognize that, that this, um, these men, they, they didn't come to God to simply inform him of the problem. They came initially to say, God, I need you to solve the problem. I'm not coming here to say, well, well, here's some information. No, God, I need you to move. I need you to, you know, work these things out. Because at this point, what? Well, they had very limited time. But they're coming to God. And I think I want you to, to recognize that when you're praying to God, there's going to be a response. But one of the first things is this. When you pray, you need to expect God to answer. You do. You you can't just kind of throw it up and say, oh, you might, you might not. You know, if if you're into it, yeah, go ahead. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Let me read it to you while you're turning to Psalm 18. But in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, it just simply declares this, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I think it's important to recognize that, that when we pray, the first thing you have to know about responding is this, you got to expect an answer. If you're not expecting an answer, then you're not, you know, formally, all right, what's going to be my response? And I think keep in mind that even though God doesn't answer in the way that we think he should, there still should be a response. I need to recognize that when I'm praying, I need to have this response already. Regardless of what you do, my response is, God, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you're there. I thank you that you're paying attention. All these things, Lord, you're there moving. I will call. I'll call on you and you will answer me. You're going to show me great and mighty things. And this is what God says. He tells us, call to me. You call to me and I will answer you. Call to me and I will answer. This is God declaring to us. And as he declares those things, one of those Areas where I think we need to be aware is the first thing, God does answer prayer. 
Make that a you know, God does answer prayer. The next thing that I think we have to understand is what? How God answers prayer. How does God answer prayer? Well, this is why I want you to turn to Psalm 18. Because in Psalm 18, what we're going to do is this. We're going to be looking at you know, the first 19 verses. And then we're going to shift. And we're going to look at verse 46 and verse 49. So Psalm 18, verses 1 through 19. Verse 46 and verse 49. I want you to see that what David here, as David calls himself in the psalm, not the king. He doesn't say David the king. What he recognizes in the psalm, he answers it, David the servant of the Lord. He said, I may be king, but I'm not going to acknowledge I'm the king because there's another king. See, I as the king, I don't have the ability to do this. I as the king, I still have needs. Now, God is king. He has the ability to do everything. God is the king. He has no needs. And this, is, I think, is so important in recognizing when we pray, regardless of what your position is. You may be the leader of you know, the, the, the greatest country in the world. You might be a pastor of a church. You might be you know, a, a servant within that church. And understand, every one of us has needs, and none of us are able to make it come to pass. You can say something, you can do things, but you can't actually do it. It takes God. And I want you to recognize that even a doctor, even a doctor, when, when he goes in and he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a doctor and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to do some surgery, well, understand that he can use a knife and he can cut but he can't make the cells grow back together. He can't make them heal closed. He can't do that. He can cut you open. He can take something out, but he can't make a new one grow. He can't make the cells now knit themselves together. He can't do that, but what? God can. There's certain things where, where men can say, I can, I can begin to work this, but it has to be God. It has to be his power. And that's what Psalm 18 declares. I want you to see in this psalm how, how David here, as he calls himself the servant of the Lord, recognizes that God answers prayer in power. Oh my, does he answer prayer in power. Let's go through this psalm, the first 19 verses. It declares this, I will love you, O Lord, O my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. So he starts out, I love you and I worship you and you're everything to me. And I'm going to call upon you who's worthy to be praised. Not who's worthy to call upon, but I recognize that when I'm calling, I'm praising already. Now he says in verse 4, The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me, and in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. So now we see here his situation. He's now at a point where he feels his life is threatened. He calls out to God, and then in the middle of verse 6, it says this, He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. He recognizes, God, you hear. I cried out, and I know you hear. Now look at what he says. This is God's response to prayer. Verse 7, Then the earth shook and trembled. The fountains of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind, and he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and the thick clouds of the skies. 
From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows, and he scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and, his, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the seas were seen and the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. And he sent from above, verse 16, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. Verse 19, he also brought me out into a broad place and he delivered me because he delights in me. And then in verse 46, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, let the God of my salvation be exalted. Verse 49, therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. I want you to see here how God answers prayer. Boom! Power! You you understand that when we make a declaration that God says, I will shake heaven and earth. There's no power that can stand before my might. And he shows David this incredible, radical power of God in response to what? Words. David speaks words. God does actions. And what David does is he believes these words would be heard. And as he's saying these words, he's already praising God, already recognizes, oh, Lord, you are my strength. You are the rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. He recognizes all those things of the character of God, believing those things to happen. And he realizes there's going to be power in the answer. And I think it's important for us as Christians to realize this truth that one, God does answer prayer, Jeremiah 33, verse 3. But the second thing to remember this is that when he answers prayer, he does it in power. He does it in authority. He does it in might. This is who God is. So don't think that God here is like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What, what do I have to do? How many people do I need to gather? God doesn't need anything. Keep in mind, he simply spoke and the universe leapt into existence. He speaks again, creates everything. And this is the God, this is the power who there's nothing on earth that can do one thing, that can hold him back. And I love God and his power and how David expresses it here in this psalm. He says the incredible power of God. So realize God answers prayer, but know also how he answers prayer. When you're praying and you're bringing something to God, think of this psalm. Think of God coming in the breath of his nostrils and the, 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 the ground shaking and the, the lightnings and the thunderings and the smoke and, and the power of the thunder and the hail. God, you're going to move in power. Rather than, oh, you know, you're just kind of going to think about it, ponder back, maybe play a few, you know, cards of sheep's head. What are you going to do? No, he's going to be moving. He's going to be moving. He's going to already be saying, I'm, I'm here. And then David realizes that you took me, you delivered me, you're the one. It didn't happen by accident. It wasn't like I prayed and, oh, never mind, I'm, I'm already delivered. No, God, you were already there. You went before us. And then when he does, I love how he recognizes where then in verse 46 says, oh, the Lord lives, blessed be the rock. And I love the heart of it because he says, as the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. And then eventually he comes and he says, therefore, I will give thanks and I will praise you. So keep in mind that when you're looking to your response to answered prayer, realize first and foremost, God answers prayer. Second, remember the power that he expresses Every time, when God changes a king's heart, when he changes the times, he changes the season, he changes the events, realize this is his power, this is his authority. There's no man that can withstand against the authority of God. They can try, they can do it, they may have victory for a night, but in time, realize that God is going to be victorious. He will raise up a king, he will remove a king. 
And what we need to do is we need to keep our focus on the King of Kings. That's our heart. And so we see, one, that God answers prayer. We also recognize that we need to see how God answers prayer in, the, in, in his power. But I think it's also important that when you're you know, looking at your response, realize that, that we have to believe that God is going to move. We have to believe that this power here that David declares, where God says, you ask and I will answer, that you are going to move on our behalf. A couple of verses I want you to simply just jot down. The first is found in the the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. And in Matthew 21, let me read this to you. I just want to read verse 22, and then I'm going to just just back it up into verse 7. But in Matthew 21, verse Um, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, it simply says this, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. This is God. This is his heart. He says, I want you to ask in prayer, but I want you to ask believing so that you can receive. He also makes this statement in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read from verses 7 through 11. But in Matthew 7, 7, he says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Realize that if you, if you ask, if you, you know, knock, if you seek, he's going to move. And I think it's important that if we being evil, if we know how to give good gifts, how much more will our Heavenly Father give those amazing gifts? One other passage to simply jot down on in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. I'm also going to read chapter 15, verse 7. But it declares this in John 14, verse 13 and 14. If you ask anything in my... Wait, verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. When God moves, when he answers, is for one thing, for the glory of God, for the glory of the Father. And I think this is important. He says, I want my Father to be glorified. So what do I do? I'm moving before you and I'm answering your prayers. Why? So that you will give glory to God that he can be exalted, that he can be praised, that he can be worshipped in that way. In John chapter 15, verse 7, he then goes on and says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. There's a clarification here. Because it's not just God being a genie. Hey, I want this. Rub the lamp. Poof, give me my wish. That's not the key. Because what Jesus does in John chapter 15, verse 7, he says this, that you need to abide in me. Let me abide in you. And as you're abiding in me, as my will becomes your will, then you're going to be asking what? You're going to be asking for my will, not your will. And I think it's important to realize that when we ask those things according to who he is and his will, as we abide in him, he makes this statement, it shall be done for you. So it's one of those things where you don't simply just put out a laundry list to God and say, okay, God, here's my laundry list. Check one, check two, check three. What's next? It isn't about the laundry list. It's about what? Realizing, God, what's your list? What are you calling me to do? I know what I may want to do, but what's your will? What's your spirit? What are you doing? And so we see here, and I find it just so important to recognize one of the things in in going before the Lord is simply saying this. I know that if I am asking of you, I need to already believe that you're going to answer. I need to say, I'm, I'm in your will I know this is a part of your will, so I'm going to pray, and I know that you're going to answer. Now, the key is is this. When we're praying, 
how do we pray, what do we pray, what's kind of the mode of the prayer. I'm going to kind of put it all into a nutshell. There's a, a portion where Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he declares this. I want to read to you a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first three verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first, the first three verses simply declare this. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. I love the heart of this because as he opens up, he says, I'm I'm literally exhorting you. I'm giving you this command that supplications, prayers, intercession, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Be made for those who are in authority. That means you need to be praying for your president, whether you like him or not, your governor, whether you like him or not, your mayor, whether you like him or not. You need to be praying for these and giving thanks to God for these because why? He's doing this for us, that we may lead this quiet and peaceable life with godliness and reverence. There should be a humility to who we are. That if God put these people in charge, okay, God, you have to work in their hearts where we're looking to you. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And I think it's important to be praying for the needs of men. We need to be, as Christians, making intercession. And, and it's key to this. If you're familiar with that passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That there comes a point where God wants us to be not self-centered, but others-centered others orientated and when we're looking to others and we're, we're trying to focus on others we have to realize god this is what you do this is what you do remember that passage in hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 where it says that the g's about jesus he ever lives to make intercession for us this is who God is. He is the one in, in Hebrews 7.25. He's living to make intercession. Then you have that passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and verse 27. And I actually want to read that one to you. But this is where the Spirit himself, not Jesus, but the Spirit himself lives to make intercession. Let me read this to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Verse 26 and verse 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Do you understand that we have both the Son, whoever lives to make intercession, the spirit who makes intercession, but he does this according to what? According to the will of God. You have both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all these doing what? Others orientated. He's there to make intercession. He's there to move on our behalf. And so, you know, when you have that passage there in James chapter 5, verse 16, where we sort of look at that one area where after he says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We do understand that that fervent, that righteous prayer, that prayer of a righteous man has much avail, that it does amazing things. We also have to realize this, confess your trespasses. We need to recognize that we're a body, and this body moves, this body ministers, but it's God who does the work. And so as we're, we're recognizing this, yes, we do need to pray for one another. We need to find out where the needs are and intercede for one another. But as we're interceding for one another, keep in mind that it's also important that not only do we pray for others, but we do also have to pray for ourselves. 
There's a passage, and let me read it to you, found in the, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. I'm going to read all the way to verse 20, just so that you can follow the flow here of what the context is. As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, after he talks about you know putting on the whole armor of God, he declares this in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. In it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul not only declares that we should be praying for one another, he not only declares that we should be making intercession as the Son makes intercession, as the Spirit and the Father makes intercession, not only should that be, but also we need to be praying for ourselves, and we need to be asking other people to pray for us. And I think it's so important that, that when we pray for one another, we need to ask people, pray for me. Pray for me. It's important. I want to be in the will of God. I want to be experiencing the power of God. Would you pray for me? And so understand that what's happening is this, that Daniel and his friends are doing what? <clears throat> they're praying for themselves, but they're also praying for one another. So Daniel, when he prays, I don't believe he's saying, God, just protect me. Don't worry about, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah, just me. No, he's like, okay, Lord, watch over us. Help us so we don't perish with all the wise men. And so I, I love how what, what Daniel does is when God does give him the answer. And I think it's important that, that before he gives a response, one, God answers prayer. Two, that God has incredible power and authority as he answers prayer. That, that we see also that not only does God have this incredible power and authority, that we realize what? I have to believe by faith that you will. Do you understand that Daniel had already gone to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, give me just a moment and I'll tell you what, I'll come back with this interpretation of your dream. And then including that, there's going to be what you did dream. I know that God's going to reveal this to me. And so as we see this, God answers prayer. And so here, Daniel, and I do believe that, that he's praying for all men. I don't believe that it's only the four. I believe that God is, as, as God has put upon Daniel's heart, Daniel's heart is what I need it. I do. But I also want to pray for others. And as they're praying for one another, God comes and he answers the prayer. And, and look at the response. This incredible response that begins to happen through this prayer. And as, as God begins to move, it's important to realize, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when God answers prayer? I'm going to take you to one passage first because I want you to take a look at just one small segment of the ministry of Jesus Christ found in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, you guys already know it as I'm going to begin to read it in verse 38 and 39. This is where Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She has this great fever. And so they ask the Lord, you know, Lord, would, would, you, would you heal her? Would you, would you move? And so they requested of him concerning her. But let me read through this passage. It begins in verse 38 of Luke chapter 4. Now he arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served him. I want you to see what happens to a responsive prayer. Now, these disciples were doing what? They were interceding for Peter's mother-in-law. They were interceding. She didn't go before the Lord. She didn't ask the Lord, but they were interceding for her. And immediately as she is interceding, that we see here that part of this glorious ministry of experiencing the power of God is to do this. Serve, serve and worship God. 
keep in mind that, you know, we, we realize that when it comes to this area of, of coming and worshiping God and serving, that many ways in which we worship is this, that God answers our prayer, and so we do what? We serve him, we glorify him, we exalt him, we begin to minister, and that's what she does. As, as we realize that, you know, we've talked about how in, in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But he goes in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, we're creating Christ Jesus for good works. That faith without works is dead. And so we see here that there is a response when God does answer that we begin to do what? You have to do something. And that's what Daniel recognizes, that, Lord, you gave me this vision. You gave me this understanding. I know what I need to do. But before I do it, I'm going to go to the Pharaoh. I'm going to go to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to tell him his dream. I'm going to tell him the interpretation. But before I do, before I serve, something has to be done. And I have to acknowledge you. And this is the key. There's this beautiful passage, and I think we've quoted it hundreds of times in our studies here at Calvary Chapel, Milwaukee. But it just, it's, it's so key. It's so, you know, necessary for us to grasp this. In Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, it declares this, that it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. So we recognize this passage in Luke 17, 11 through 19, that there were these 10 lepers. And, and what they do is, is they, they hear these men, they met him, they stood afar off, but it says this, they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest. Exactly what it spoke about in Leviticus 14. Go show yourself as the scriptures say. And it was as they went that they were cleansed. As they began to walk in obedience, they were cleansed. Not They were being cleansed, but the, the God just simply did the work in power. And then here's the crux of it. It talked about the 10 men. It talked about as they left that they were cleansed. But then in here, in verse 15, one of them, only one, when he saw them, or one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where were the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And I think it's so important to realize that there needs to be a response to answered prayer. And regardless of what anyone else does, I myself need to do what? I need to come back. I need to, in, in whatever way the Spirit calls me to fall down on my face before the feet of Christ, and I need to worship. I need to give him thanks. I need to glorify him for what was done. I need to recognize, God, you have displayed power here. You've moved in your authority. And that's what Daniel begins to recognize that when you look to answered prayer and you begin to respond to answer prayer, the first thing that Daniel does here, he says, blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. What Daniel does here is he focuses and he ponders the very first thing on the character of God. I want to, in this act that you've done, I want to be made aware of your character, of your attributes, of who you are. And understand that when you look at the very character of God, that there may be multiple attributes that you can peg as what? God, you did this, and you did this, and you did this. You revealed this of yourself, or you revealed this of yourself, and you revealed this of yourself. There may be multiple attributes that God displays. And I think it's important for us as Christians to periodically come to that understanding of, Lord, what attribute are you displaying here? What are you showing me of yourself? 
in answering this prayer. Because what God is doing is that so often he, he reveals his love, of course, but he reveals his power. Sometimes he reveals his omniscience. There's things that he's doing that, that he's already moved on before what? Before we even get there. And I love it how where Tim had shared that passage in Deuteronomy 31 where he says, God goes before us. <coughs> that he goes before us even before we know what we need. He's already moving and he's answering. And as we realize what God had done by, by allowing us to go through those labor pains of trying to work out how do we do the videos. I don't know if you realize this, but God had started to put upon um, hearts literally almost four or five years ago that we began to do it, but there was just the technology was not there and it was just not feasible. We tried to do it, it didn't work, but then eventually time went on and like, okay, let's go again. Technology's up, I think we can do this. And, and then through just his gifting the saints, just event after event after event, we begin to get out the, the, the videos. And of course, we started off off to the side and on tripods and then we mounted power and plates. And now we have this, this system that when, you know, the government says, well, you can't meet, but we can preach. We can proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we can do it, and it'll be in your living room, it'll be on your phones, it'll be on your computers, and you can take this and you can forward it to as many people as you want. And so you're now using these messages as gospel tracts to say, you need to hear this, you need to grow in this, here's the word of God, it's being declared. And as we do so, we see how God did go before and that's sometimes where we recognize when God does move, what attributes has he displayed? What has he shown of himself? And I think it's important that when he answers a prayer, focus on him. Focus on who are you? What, what did you reveal of yourself through this answer? And it's key. If you spend a little bit of time, not a lot, but a little bit of time, and as you spend a little bit of time, you're going to eventually spend more time and more time and more time looking to how did you reveal you in the answer to this? What part of the attributes? Now, keep in mind that as you look to the, the minutia of the attributes, there's some, some huge attributes, probably about 10, 15 of them. But then there's a lot of other minor attributes that are like secondary in these. But how does God begin to move? How does he reveal himself? Notice his attributes. Give him glory for who he is. Give him glory for how he responds and give him glory for what he revealed of himself. And the more you do this, the more you're going to realize is that he's not just displaying one attribute. It's this compounded with this, compounded with this, compounded with the next one. And you're going to realize multiple ways that God says, this is who I am, and this is who I am, and this is who, and all these came together to move, to, to respond to your request. How incredible is that to be focusing on God and say, what are you trying to reveal of yourself as you answer? So that's the first thing that Daniel does is, oh, Blessed be your name. Blessed be your character. Blessed be what you have revealed of yourself. The second thing he does this, not only does he praise God as he focuses on what part of you, how you revealed yourself was in this answer. The next thing he does is this. He praises God for his wisdom. That, that Lord, you are the one who's directing this. You in your wisdom are, are first you revealed yourself to me. You've saved me, and then you're allowing me to be aware of this situation that I can bring it to you. And what it declares is this. When you thank God for his wisdom, you're literally declaring this. I don't know. I just don't know. And I think it's important to realize that where, where James tells us in chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, listen, if any of you... Um, Wait, back it up. Verse 5 of chapter 1 of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I want you to understand that that's not a sometimes. <laughs> that's literally an all the time. 
Because we see through a glass darkly. We see through a mirror dimly. We don't understand fully what God is doing. His ways are not our ways. And I need wisdom all the time. I lack wisdom. But when God moves in his spirit, moves in his word, declares, it's like, okay, you've illuminated the truth. You've illuminated who you are. I recognize that I can walk in it. And so we see here this incredible word of God. And so the next thing after he says, I want to focus on how you revealed yourself and your character But then I want to acknowledge this, that you alone are wise. And when I acknowledge your wisdom, I also have to, in that same way, acknowledge my lack of it. Because it isn't my will that gets done. It's your will in heaven that gets done. Why is it so important to realize that it's his will? Because he has knowledge we don't. We're asking just with with a half knowledge, a quarter knowledge, a tenth knowledge, a one one hundredth knowledge. God has full knowledge. Who do you want to have, you know, to ask the answers for and who to move? The one who sees the end from the beginning or the one who only sees the now? And what I see and what you see, in all honesty, we see the now and we don't even see that very clearly. But God sees the end from the beginning. He sees it all done all the way through. And this is the heart of it. When we look to the wisdom of God, we're recognizing, God, if I'm declaring you alone to be wise, then I'm not going to tell you what to do. (laughs) If I'm declaring you to be wise, I'm asking God, you move according to your will. You move according to your wisdom, and I will trust you in it. And I think this is key to our response Not to think, oh, Lord, man, I nailed that prayer. But to realize, God, you gave me the words. You gave me even the ability to see there was a need. And you're the one that brought it to my attention. You're the one that opened my eyes. You're the one that opened my heart. You're the one that gave unction to my lips. That I would pray to you and ask you and intercede for you. You're the one that touched my heart and my mind. Everything about it, what I asked, was what your gift to me. So I can't take credit. I love what Paul does when he talks about the grace of God. He says, Look, I, I'm just, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I, I, was, I persecuted the church and I wasn't worthy to be called, but nevertheless, God saved me. And then he says this, and I've done more than all the others. But he declares this, yet it wasn't me, but it was the grace that was in me. God, if I did anything, it wasn't because it was me. If I did anything, it was because your grace touched me. Your spirit enabled me. It's all about you. And this is why it's so important that when you look to a response to God, realize, God, it's always been you. There's never been anything that we initiated This took you by surprise. Hey, God, guess what? We got this great idea. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Whoa, that really surprised me. No, you've planned it from the beginning. You finally opened up our hearts and our minds to that will. Took us long enough. But once we finally get it, then we're we're asking of you, and you're moving like, wow, I'm surprised how quickly God moved. He says, I've been waiting years to open your eyes and open your hearts and to prepare you for this. I've been doing this from the beginning. And that's why it's so important that in our response to God, recognize his wisdom and his alone. Recognizing his wisdom. And when you recognize his wisdom, we're saying, what, we don't have any. I have to recognize yours. And the next thing that he does is this. At the end of verse 20, he recognizes him not only for his wisdom, but his power. Look at this. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Wisdom is his and might are his. Or in other words, the word can be expressed power. Power is yours. And when you do express that he has power, you're doing what? You're declaring the inverse. We don't. I can't make something happen. I can't change the events of time. I can come to you and I can do things, but at the same time, you are going to be sovereign. You are going to move. And I have to recognize I'm powerless. You're powerful. I'm the one, and I love how, this is why I wanted to to share with you that Psalm 18, that David doesn't recognize, I'm the king. He doesn't say that in the psalm. He says, I'm the servant of the Lord. See, the king should expected to what? Have power and have authority and can get things done. But David recognizes, even as I'm the king, I have real no power. I don't have power as the king to change the events. 
I can't simply will for something to be done and have it to be done. Only if you, Lord, will it, will it be granted. Because the kings, can, they can do certain things, but they can't do everything. Remember how Herod, after he had murdered James, he then put Peter into prison, expecting to do what? Do the same to him. Well, God had other events, you know. And, and then eventually he just takes Herod out. Herod's like, I'm going I'm to take out James, took out James. I'm going to take out Peter now. Didn't happen. See, you can only do what God allows you to do. God needed a martyr. The martyr was there. But then Peter was not going to be the next. There was another plan that God had for Peter, and it wasn't Herod. And Herod, you know what? Now your number's up. You're, you're the one who's now going to die, not, not Peter. And so I love how God, no matter what the king wants to do, no matter what authority they think they have, they don't. They don't. It's granted to them by God. God gives them the ability for a season, but keep in mind that he expects them with that power, give glory to me, acknowledge me. And so I love it how, you know, here Daniel says, the might is yours. That power is yours. I am powerless. You are powerful. And that's why in Psalm you know, 18, when David said, I'm the servant, I'm not the king, I'm the servant. He expressed God's power in the most dynamic and, and descriptive way, saying, man, the smoke and the thunders and the hails and the quaking, boom, dunamis power. The same power that was given to the early church, the Spirit came upon them, and we're going to be celebrating that next Sunday as we look to Pentecost, and we just enjoy, like the, the early church, they're in one place, one heart, one mind, excited to be there. Not just coming, oh, you're going to go to, got to, go to church again. No, when people are coming to church, and not again, it's like, oh my God, finally I get to go to church. Finally I get to be of one mind. Finally I get to be of this heart. But we see here what? The power. The power that came was not theirs. The power that came was the power of the Holy Spirit. So wisdom are yours. The might are yours. And then he declares this. With everything that he's praying and the response, God, you are in, in charge. You have authority. Take a look at verse 21. He changes the times and the season. He removes the kings and raises up kings. You're the one that has a timeline. And everything that's happening is according to your timeline. You're not scratching your head and saying, what happened? How did this take place? No, you've orchestrated everything. And if you've orchestrated it, there's a reason. And I do believe this with all of my heart, that what's happening in this course of the events, that's shaking the world, shaking the world is this. Jesus is coming soon. He's preparing the world for the coming of the Antichrist. And eventually we'll be looking at that as we go into the book of Daniel. And, and keep in mind that I've been praying about this. And as soon as we finish the book of Daniel, we're going to be going into the book of Revelation. And I know I was thinking about going, you know, and just taking our next couple of books as, you know, we were going into First and Second Timothy. But God just really put on my heart when we were going through that the prophecy there through the first and second Thessalonians, we came to Daniel and God says, just keep it going. So just so you know, be praying through it, be reading through it. I got, you know, um, a lot of books to read. So, but as we're going through this, we see here the very heart of God where he says, listen, you are the one in your authority. You change the times, you change the seasons. You've got this pegged. Why? Because you're working everything out for one thing, for the return of your son. You're working everything out. The time of the Gentiles, I believe, is coming to an end, and you're going to be coming back. The Antichrist is going to be coming on the scene, but you're coming back, and that's what you're preparing the world for. You're preparing the world for your soon return. And so anticipate this. Look at this, you know, recognize that, but he changes the times, he removes the kings, he sets up the kings. He, he, he does it all. He's the one who's in authority. So remember that when an event takes place, God has willed that event to take place and is saying, you may not understand the what and the why, just like Job didn't understand. What's going on with me? Why is all these things happening? He didn't understand, but God says, listen, you will never fully understand what I'm doing. Why? 
He says, because the bottom line, Job, you can't even understand the elementary school, the basic physics of the universe. He goes to Job. He says, simply, let me give you the beginner stuff. Can you loosen the belt of Orion? In other words, just spread the stars out. Easy thing physically. All it is is the physical, not the spiritual, just basic physical elements. Just move the stars. Job's like, what? I can't move a star? And God says, that's the basic stuff. So if you can't understand as, as this little human how to do the basics, just moving stars around the universe, if you can't understand that, how are you going to understand the deeper, the spiritual things of what's going on and, and how I am glorified through these events? As when you go through, you still set your eyes on me, you set your heart on me, and you worship me. I'm being glorified in the eternal. That's what we look to. And I think it's important to realize here, this is what Daniel says. He says, God, I understand that you're an authority. And I may not understand why you're doing what you're doing, but I do understand this. You've got a will and a purpose, and I'm going to seek you in it, and I'm going to glorify you in it because you, Lord, are authoritative. And I'm going to recognize this in my response to prayer. Whatever your will is, I want to surrender that. And I know I may want something, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Your will be done. And as we look to this, I think so often the response to prayer, yes, we need to recognize that, that who he is and, and his character. We need to recognize his wisdom and his power. But we also have to recognize, God, your authority. You've allowed this to happen. And whatever you need me to do to draw closer to you, I want to take this time to do it. And then Daniel does this. He's blessed because, God, you made me a recipient of this answered prayer. I'm one who recognizes enough that I can see your character. I can see your wisdom. I can see your power. I can see your authority. And, and I'm, I'm able to see this now. I'm going to give you glory and Daniel here, he knows what he says at the end of, of um, verse 21, where, where in the middle of verse 21, he says, he gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who understand. He reveals the deep and secret things. This is God. He's a giver. He's going to give to us. And Daniel, by faith, has come before the Lord, expecting to receive, believing to receive, knowing that God answers prayer, knowing that in faith he's going to receive it and seeing God's power move through it. And, of course, he did. And he's so grateful to be a recipient. But the last thing that he does, and it's not the first thing, but the last thing, he makes sure that the last thing on his lips is this. Verse 23, I thank you and praise you. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make sure that what I do is I fall at your feet and I give you thanks. That you are now a recipient of this gratitude, this overwhelming abundance of God. I want to thank you and praise you and worship you because of who you are and how you work. This is the key. And I believe that all of us need to have these kind of responses to prayer. Not, Lord, what are you doing and faulting him for this and faulting him for that? Why did you do this sooner? Why aren't you doing that sooner? But recognizing, God, in your sovereign timing, in your authority, you've now granted to this for a servants, our, us to be a recipient of the answer to this prayer. And we want to worship you. Not question you, not argue with you, but worship you. I love it how every single aspect of God's creation, he just speaks and they listen. Remember, just before Peter's mother-in-law gets sick, what did he do? He cast out demons. The, the, the demons listen to him. They just simply acknowledge his authority. The, the, the very physical, the, 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 the fever acknowledge his authority. Just get out of her, gone. Everything acknowledges his authority except the one thing, the thing that he made in his own image. We question his authority. Are you sure? Do you know what you're doing? Of course he does. He's God, and to acknowledge and to say, I'm so grateful, Lord. I want to thank you, and I want to praise you. That we come before God with outstretched arms and open hearts and, and just the, the, the fruit of praise upon our lips saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so worthy of praise, so worthy of honor, so worthy of glory. This is who you are. And I think it's important. I think it's a perfect word for us that in these times, 
How do you respond to answered prayer? Even if it's not the response that you you were looking for, are you still going to respond in the way that Daniel here shows us? There's a reason the Spirit shows us the very first prayer of Daniel is a prayer of response to an answered prayer. I do believe that every prayer that I've ever prayed has been answered, that God gives an answer. may not be the answer I want, but there's an answer, and I trust him in it. The more I'm, I'm alive as a Christian, the more I look to his word and it's revealed, I do realize there are answers, and I accept those things. Respond to the answered prayer. Amen? Father, we do thank you for who you are and how you work and just the the goodness of of how you have moved and how you've answered. And God, we're so grateful to be together, so grateful to be here in this place and worshiping you and acknowledging you. Father, please, by your spirit, touch our hearts. Touch us that we would have this heart of Daniel that we would have this heart to simply acknowledge you and to be looking to say, how many ways and how many aspects of yourself have you revealed in answering this prayer? That we would come back to focus on on you and your greatness and and your beauty, Lord. And then focus, of course, on your wisdom and your power and your authority and that that we can be a recipient, Lord, and, 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 and that you've touched us. And you've blessed us. And so, Father, by your spirit, continue this work. Teach us these things. Help us, Lord, not simply to nod and and agree with, with what Daniel did. Help us not simply to take notes, but, Father, to purpose in our hearts. To purpose in our hearts that we would be those who, when you answer and you do answer and you will answer, we believe that you answer prayer because we're abiding in you. And you're working these things out just so perfectly, naturally supernatural um, that others may not even be aware of your hand, but we are. That you have gone before us, you will go after us, that your only thoughts towards us are good continually. And so, Father, we, we worship you. We acknowledge you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.